God reveals himself as the I am, and Pharaoh reveals himself as the has been. You're not going to want to pass over today's episode. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. How you doing, Brandon? Not too bad. Not too bad. Today's going to be amazing. Uh, we're going to talk about the Exodus today, one of the best books in the Old Testament. Mm. It's crazy. People dying, pain and crying. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be great. Exodus, I think, has been slaughtered by so many filmmakers. And like, I just think of the, the Russell Crowe movie when I think of you know, Exodus <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a book. It just, have you seen that one? I have not. Oh, my goodness. It's I can so imagine, bad. though. I'm, I'm just picturing, um, like, Gladiator with a different skin, you know? Yeah. So. Or was it, was it Christian Bale? I oh, forget. Maybe it was I forget. Yeah, There's, no, no. Russell Crowe was Noah, also a terrible movie. <laughs> no, terrible. That's right. And then Christian Bale was Moses. I was, it was a toss-up as to which Are one was the worst. Are there any good, like, uh, movies on the Old Testament? No, I don't think. I mean, not since Charlton Heston. Because Ten Commandments is a great movie, but I think it's just like Hollywood. They're like this. Everyone loves the Bible. Let's take it and totally destroy it. What about then songs? Everyone will love it more. Any songs that remind you of Exodus? Oh well, of course, of course, Bob Marley. I don't know if I really do know the uh, words to the song, but it's it's pretty pretty classic. Something about Jaw people and stuff. Yeah, some I don't. Yeah, oh, I don't really know. movement of Jaw people. I think it has the same beat and same music as every Bob Marley song, mm. but it's about the Exodus. So. Crazy. Does he believe in the same Exodus as we do? Uh, I don't think that's what it's about. Okay. Dang it. Anyway, uh, Bible. Bible Exodus. We're going to talk yeah. about Exodus from the Bible today, the second book of the Bible. Hey, and just congratulations for you doing the year-long reading. Um, you made it through the first book of the Old Testament. Congratulations. And it's just going to get good. crazier from here. So I hope you're following along with us in your Bible uh, year-long Bible reading plan. Um, keep checking those boxes off, and uh, hopefully this has been beneficial to you guys too as you come and, and learn about, again, that big, uh, the big picture story of where the Bible is taking us, the big story that's, that's throughout every book of the Bible and how they're all connected. Um, yeah. We hope this is beneficial for you guys. Yeah, I hope so, and, and it's going to get really fun. I mean, obviously, this section is very, very interesting. Um, we'll get into the law, which I think is just one of the most underrated parts of, of Scripture. Everyone hates the law. Everyone wants to skim over the law. There is so much gold in the law. And it's the very fact that you think it's terrible that is going to make <laughs> it so enjoyable because you're going to see so much about God, so much about the Bible in those passages that you didn't know before. That's my, that's my bold prediction. Uh, it's going to be good. I think you're going to be right. Okay, you're you're so going to be breezing through Leviticus. It's going to be great. Maybe. Um, so uh, first question I have, what does even Exodus mean? Let's just get that on the table. We talked about Genesis when we, when we entered that book. What is Exodus all about? What does the book mean? Yeah, so the title Exodus is just, you know, it's just Greek for departure, right, for, for leaving somewhere. So the name is pretty clear because mm -hmm. this book is about the departure of God's people from slavery in Egypt. But that's actually not the name of the book in Hebrew. So all the, all the Pentateuch books have different names in Hebrew right. than they do from the Greek names that, that we have. So which ones are correct? Well, I mean, uh, either one, I guess. It's just a name. It's not inspired. Cool. So, what's the, so apart from the name, what's the book about? What's yeah, well, so we'll get to the it? name. We'll get to the name of the book. Um, well, this book is important for, I mean, this is just hugely important in the scope of Scripture, right? So Genesis, you have 
we talked about how important it is for laying the foundations of how things are were supposed to be, mm-hmm. how the fall happened, how things got messed up. So we saw about you know God, who who is God, creation, man, sin, all these themes, and how God is working in the midst of that. Now Exodus is the sort of sort of prototype in the Bible for salvation. Mm. This is the this is the place where God sets a pattern for how salvation will work throughout the entire Bible. Crazy. So I mean this story is hugely important. Everything from here on out will have ties to the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that important of a book. So this is a, the first act of real salvation of God's people. And it's going to be, it's going to have it echoes, obviously, even into um, Jesus's ministry and to the end of the Bible. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so, um, but, but sorry, I should say a few things I, I, I forgot about. So it's more than that. So obviously, <clears throat> Exodus is about redemption. But it's also uh, about the name of God. So, so the right. title of the book of Exodus in, in Hebrew is Names. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's called that for a simple reason, which is that every book of the Pentateuch is named after the first word in Hebrew mm-hmm. in the book. Right. So in that first verse, we see these are the names of the sons. So in, in my Bible, I just put a, squ- a square around names to remember that. Um, it's a, but it's... it's that title is perfect because it's about the name of God. Mm. This is the only book where God reveals his name and he does it twice, two different times. So at, at the beginning and at the end. So it's so important. It's going to show us who God is in a very specific way. And then also it's the place where God's law is revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's law is revealed in, in Exodus, but it's also revealed, revealed in Deuteronomy, which is the second law, second reiteration of the law. But this, this is so important because we see something specific about God and his character in the Ten Commandments and in the law which proceeds from those Ten Commandments. Right. Yeah, and don't, don't forget, and we'll talk more about this in detail, but don't forget the story of Exodus is just a continuation of the story of Genesis. The story is just continuing through, and we're, we're getting more and more pieces of who this God is, what he's like, how he's going to save people. So it's going to yeah. be great. Um, so, you ready to get in the story a little bit? Yeah, let's jump right in. Awesome. Chapter one. Um, people be oppressed right now. Brick making, slavery, yep. not fun. Tell us about that, Brandon. Yeah, so, so the book starts off um, with a, a genealogy, right? A, a short genealogy. But it, it reminds us mm-hmm. of its connection, like you said, to Genesis, to the story of Joseph that we just saw, and how people got into, into uh, slavery. So, don't forget the reason why the Israelites came into Egypt in the first place was because they were being saved. Mm. They were being saved by coming into Egypt because the entire world was under famine. So God brought them there, and then God's going to allow them in his sovereign purposes to go through incredible suffering. We saw this predicted in Genesis 15. I mean, God told Abraham this, right, that your descendants will be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, and they'll come out with great wealth. So this is all predicted. God's fully in control of this. Mm -hmm. So they're reminded of that. Um, And God is blessing them. Look at verse 7 of of Exodus chapter 1. It says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, for those of you who have been reading the Bible with us, that should immediately bring to mind Genesis chapter 1, right. where God is saying to the, to the animals to, and, of course, to humanity, be fruitful and multiply. Right. So that, that same language is used here of the people of Israel. So God is blessing them in a big way. Right. So that's how it starts off. But then you have, um, you have a, a new king, a new pharaoh comes along who doesn't know Joseph. 
right? So who doesn't care about Joseph and who sees this people and is threatened by them. And because there's a threat, he wants to deal with it. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, the first chapter, you just have to be seeing the re repeated irony that's present in this chapter because there's so many things that should make us, I mean, really laugh mm -hmm. at, at how ridiculous they are, right? One of them is that he says, you know, they're multiplying too much, so we need to, verse 10, right? We need to deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. Right. And when war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So he's going to do something to keep them from escaping. Right. Which it, it's, it's kind of like when Joseph's brothers said, oh, we're going we're gonna to stop his dreams, right? We're going to take care of his dreams. The same thing, right? They're going to escape from the land in, in real sense because of what Pharaoh is going to do to them, mm -hmm. because of this oppression. So, so, so he, that's, that's just ironic. And then verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. So you, you, you couldn't contain the blessing of God that's being poured out on Israel. Yeah. And so they're overflowing. The people are multiplying. They're, they're very fruitful. The Genesis blessing um, is on them, right? And they're receiving that from God. And then, and then it says that they, in verse 14, that Pharaoh made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. Right. And so that reference of mortar and brick should remind us of Genesis chapter 11, right. when, when the same materials were used to build the Tower of Babel. So there's, there's an echo of that. And really, I mean, we knew that in Genesis 11, we saw that these people in Babel wanted to make a great name for themselves. But it was Abraham that God made a great name for. Right. Right? It wasn't those who, who worked really hard through their own might to establish themselves and show their own greatness, but it was those who humbled themselves and followed God. And it was God's people that he chose. Right. And here the same thing is going to happen. God's multiplying and blessing the children of Abraham, and he's thwarting the plans of humanity. Yeah, Pharaoh and Egypt are wanting to make much of themselves, right? Yeah, so, exactly. And that's going to be a futile endeavor, right? Yeah. But it, it also reminded me, I just thought um, of the quote we often repeat at our church um, in conversations is Tertullian's quote of the early church and how they were getting persecuted. And Tertullian said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. And so, like, you see in the early church, like, everything was working, uh, not everything, but most things in, in culture and society were working against the expansion of Christianity. But as Christian people were persecuted, their blood was spilt, the church grew. And so even uh, against the plans and the, you know, the, the, the bad plans of humans, God's plan always succeeds, and his plan is to build the church, and he's, nothing's going to stop that. Yeah. So, yeah, so God, I mean, God's purposes cannot be stopped, and that's obviously a huge theme in Exodus. Mm. God's the one who does all the heavy lifting, and uh, Israel receives the blessing. Mm. And, and, we, and we'll see that a lot. And really, Super I mean, cool. the, the, the irony of the name of the book is already presented in this first chapter, which is so it's about <laughs> names, right? And so we know in chapter three, we already said, God's going to reveal his name. Right. But the, in this first chapter, there are two people that are named. And they're not Pharaoh, mm -hmm. right? They're not any of his servants. They're two midwives. And, and it's easy for us to skip over this and say, I don't care what the midwives' names are. Right. But they're named, so Shifra and Pua are named mm -hmm. in chapter one. Yep. And what, what the plan is that Pharaoh has, which he's, which he's plotted, is he's going to kill the boys and not the girls. Well, so he's going he to murder the, the, the boy children, the male children when they're born, because it's, it's a natural thing in that mindset, which is the boys can grow up and become soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. He mentioned that in chapter 10, they, they'll fight with their enemies. Right. Well, women won't fight with the enemies. In other words, he sees... The men are a threat, but the women are not. 
So we'll go ahead and let them have girl children, but we'll kill all the boys. Right. And, um, and really, again, this, there's irony here as well because it's Shifra and Pua, two female midwives, mm -hmm. who end up outsmarting yeah, the, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh yeah. right? So there's irony there as well. So at what they said, you know, they feared God, verse 17, they feared God. And so they disobeyed the king's command. There's, there's commands that you should disobey from government. So are you saying that it's okay that these women lied to Pharaoh? Well, I mean, we haven't really gotten there, but um, yeah, I mean, if, if I would say this, I would say if, if somebody, there's a lot of like, you know, ethics to this question of is it okay to lie? And I would say this, if somebody is coming to your door and saying, I want to kill a baby, is there a baby here? And you say, no, there's no baby here. That's okay. Okay. So, but I, I doubt for most of us that will happen in our lives. So we shouldn't use this as an excuse to lie Fair enough. about stupid stuff. So, but yeah, no, I, I think if you're in that moment, I don't think you have to have some sort of real struggle of conscience there. I think you can say um, the truth in this instance would uh, harm a human life. So I'm going to withhold that from the psychopath. But anyway, so, so um, they, they outsmart Pharaoh, right? They, they tell him this. And so Pharaoh says, his response is, we're going to take all the, he commands his whole, the whole nation to find any uh, male children of the, of the Israelites and to throw them into the Nile River. Mm. That's, that's the final uh, sentence of chapter one. Right. So the Nile River is going to become the place where these children are thrown. It's, it's an awful, awful thing, right? It's absolutely horrendous. But this is what's happening in the story of God's people. And, and God is working in the midst of it. It's always crazy to like, I was having a conversation this afternoon with a friend and, you know, this idea of like uh, God's allowing of suffering, like, and how is that justified or how do we answer that big question? If, if they're suffering, how's God good, you know? And yeah. it's just like you see instances like this with Pharaoh, who's doing pretty much the most horrible thing you could think of in order to further his agenda. Right. And it's like, it just, it breaks our hearts when we hear stuff like that. And like, uh, when this historical text just comes alive, you can really feel for the people of Israel. But at the same time, you also have to be holding that question is, uh, what is God working and why is he allowing this to happen to his yeah. people? Like, and I guess at the conclusion, we have to believe that God is working something good. And we'll see that in the story as yeah. it works out. But man, it is crazy what God puts up with um, in order to, to show his goodness and his glory to his people and to get his people to safety. Yeah. And if all you knew about scripture was this far in the story, what you'd be holding on to right now, I would hope would be what Joseph said, right? Which, which you meant for evil. God meant for right. good. The whole point of Genesis. Yeah, exactly. So, so God's going to work something uh, incredible and, and great for his people through this and his glory is going to be revealed. But it's, it's often very, very difficult. Right. It takes a long time for that to be seen. So so then in chapter two, we actually have more women outsmarting Pharaoh, right? We have... Women are smart. <laughs> women are smart. I, I think that's maybe not the point, although that is true. <laughs> I, I, my wife is awesome and everything. And of course, we want to be like, yay, women, power. But I think that really the point here is that God is going to use the unlikely people, mm -hmm. right, to overcome those who think they're powerful and think they're great. Right. Um, so yeah, as much as I, I love women, I don't know if that's the, the, the main takeaway as much as it is that God is great. Um, so we have Jochebed, we have you know, Moses' mom, yeah. Miriam, Moses' sister, um, working together. Miriam could have been as young as seven years old. Mm -hmm. um, she's she's very quick on her feet if she's that young. Right. But, um, but yeah, this, so they, they plan together how they can save Moses. And so they place him in a basket, which is literally the word ark. Right. And they place him in this ark in the water. 
and they hide him among the reeds, it says. Yeah. Again, images of Genesis again. Yeah, so all of this is meant to remind you of, of course, the flood story. The, the one place that that word ark is used is in Genesis chapter 6, or in the, in the Noah account. It's a different word than ark of the covenant. It's a totally different word, but this is the same word as Noah's ark, and it's very significant, right? And he's put into the Nile, the place where, um, where the babies were condemned to death, right? He's placed among the reeds. And it's through those same waters that he finds salvation. Mm -hmm. So it's more than just a connection of a verbal connection between Noah and Moses. It's a, it's a theme here, which is that God is taking the, the, the waters of judgment and he's creating salvation through them. He's creating a path of salvation for his people through the waters of judgment. This is exactly the same as the, as the Noah story, right. right? This is exactly the same idea. And so God is, is repeating that and showing that God is the same. He's the same character, the same, uh, the same God as he was back then. Mm. So then we see that in chapter two, Moses tries to start his own rebellion. So Moses is, sorry, Moses has been not only, not only saved by his mother and his, and his sister, but also by Pharaoh's daughter. So it's not just, it's not just, fair, or not just the women that are, that are uh, saving him. It's actually Pharaoh's own household. So it's a woman in Pharaoh's own household that outsmarts her dad and adopts this child as her own. So it's, a, it's a, an incredible thing. Um, and, uh, and what we see is that Moses, as he's raised in Egypt for 40 years, he tries to start his own rebellion. So he, he in his own timing, right, he, he strikes down a, uh, a, one of the slavers and buries him in the sand. And it seems like maybe what Moses is trying to do here is he's trying to get the people to do, have an uprising. Right. But it doesn't work because it's, it's, it's his timing. It's not God's timing. And the people, also the people aren't willing to be led. Yeah, they even accuse him of Yeah, they, they get angry at him. Right. And he's, he's trying in his own imperfect way to help them, but they turn on him, which is going to be a huge theme for Moses when, he's, when he saves them, is that oh. these people don't want to be saved. Right. And he doesn't even want to do the saving. <laughs> <laughs> That's also <laughs> true. Later, That's yeah. also true. Yeah. yeah. But so, he flees, right? He flees yeah. Egypt. So oh. he, yeah, so he flees. And I love in, in chapter 2, verse 19, so what happens is he saves um, these women at a well, and they end up being important people for him. One of them is, is his wife, right? He, hmm. they're, they're the daughter of this important man, Jethro. And, and what they say when they return to their father is they, they don't say a Hebrew rescued us or a Jew rescued us. They say in verse 19, an Egyptian delivered us. And so there's this hint in the story that Moses is still, in some sense, an Egyptian, hmm. and God's going to have to reshape him, turn him into somebody new, so he can be a fit vessel for salvation. Right. And so the, the chapter ends in, uh, in verses 23 to 25 with this really important um, little paragraph. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Hmm. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Hmm. Really powerful verbs there, but God is taking action. God is calling them to remembrance. He's remembering the covenant he made, the promise he made to, to Abraham and to their forefathers, and God is going to act. Hmm. He's going to do something. So that sets the stage for, for what's ahead in chapter three. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's really cool just in the first two chapters to see how it's already connecting to the greater story of God's redemptive plan, right? Yeah. So yeah, not only is he... There's this time predicted, but every step of the way, he's reminding, we know God's working. Remember, like, the people of Israel don't even know what's happening yet, and they're God's people, or, yeah, they're God's people. And it's cool to see God working behind the scenes and how he's going to save uh, the whole situation. 
It's pretty yeah. exciting. I love yeah. it. So, so then in chapter three, we have, I mean, this, this really pivotal moment in the story, which is that God reveals his name. So we see in, in the beginning of chapter three that Moses has become a shepherd, mm-hmm. which just, uh, we can't talk about that right now, but keep, remember that, that these, this is going to be a theme in scripture as well, uh, even under, underlying that, these keeping the flock, because this is a theme for God's people. And God calls to him, right? So God comes uh, in, this, in this bush, it's on fire, mm-hmm. and um, he reveals himself to Moses, and he's calling out to Moses from the bush, and he says, take your, take your sandals off, right, verse 5, um, for the, the place you're standing on is holy ground. Right. So introduces like, that uh, idea of holiness. Like TK takes off his shoes whenever he leads worship. Yeah. Is that exactly, the same thing? To be more in, yeah, to be more in, in touch with. Holy ground. Yes, exactly. I think, okay. that's, I think he's very deep in his theology. Yeah. So, and then in verses seven and eight, God, God says, I'm going to, I'm going to rescue, right? I'm here to rescue. I have a plan to rescue. And so Moses's response to that is verse 13, where he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So what is your name? What's the title by which you go with? What is the authority and the power that you have? Right. And God's response is, I am who I am. That's, that's that's pretty like uh, cryptic, I would say, right? Like, what does that mean? And we've we've preached on this too, but like, that's a huge statement from God. Like you said, this is one of the few times where He names Himself in the Bible. So, what is He saying? What is God saying when He says that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's so much thought about this. So, of course, we can't we can't say everything about this. But I think there's a couple things. So, one is He goes by I am. So Yahweh, we know that that word Yahweh in Hebrew, um, it it just means I am. And so that basic idea of I am is that God is self-existent. He doesn't depend on anything or anyone else, right? God, all he depends upon is himself. But but I am who I am contains the idea of being self-referential. So God is, um, God is, can only be compared to himself. Mm -hmm. So there's no title that can fully capture God's majesty or his holiness or any of those things other than that God is himself, right? So God can only be compared to himself. Whenever we compare God to something that's in creation, we inherently lower God to mm-hmm. some degree, right? We, we lower his, his majesty because we have to put him in that box, right, of that other thing. So God does obviously reveal himself in a lot of ways. But when the name of God is that God is self-referential. Nothing can be greater than that to say that mm-hmm. God is who he is. Mm-hmm. It kind of is mind bending, but that's sort of yeah. the, the best way that I can put it, right? Is that um, you have to compare God to God. He's not like anything else. Yes. He's in a category completely of his own. Totally uncreated. Like everything that we experience is created, whether created by us or we're created by God. And yeah. That's crazy to think. Yep, exactly. So there's, <laughs> yeah, and, and even like to, when the human mind even tries to comprehend God, we're, we're just going to inherently lower who he is. Mm, yeah. it's, it's a crazy thing to think about, but we have no ability to comprehend the greatness and the, the infinite power and majesty of God. Right. I, I think about Psalm, Psalm 50, 20, or Psalm 50, 21, where the psalmist says, these things you have done and I've been silent. You thought, sorry, this is God speaking. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. So that, that's the problem is that we think that God is in some way like us. And, and we see this all the time in our culture, right? We're mm. constantly lowering God because we think he should be doing what we, what we right. prioritize, right? Right. So, 
So then, so that's chapter three. Um, and then in chapters four through six, God commissions Moses to go up and stand before Pharaoh and, and demand the freedom of his people. And in chapter four, toward the end, in verses 22 and 23, God compares, or he uses this idea of, of Israel being his firstborn son. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a big deal. Um, that that there, Israel is called the son of God. Not just anyone is God's son. This is a very, very special category. Right. And so God is saying, this is who Israel is. And if really what he does is he says, if you don't let my firstborn son go, I'm going to take your firstborn son. Right. So this is going to be a battle of firstborn sons in a sense, right? So God's going to, that's going to be the ultimate plague. Yep. But that's, that's really setting a value for who Israel is. I think it's also a gracious thing from God, like, like God is forewarning the consequences of what it means to be disobedient to him. Mm-hmm. Like God didn't have to do that. He could have just judged him right there, but he's like giving him opportunity, right? Oh yeah. Hey, like here's the consequences of uh, disobedience to me as God, as the actual one in control. Yeah. You know, that's a gracious thing. That's not a, that's not a, uh, it is a judgmental thing, but it's not a unjust thing, you know? Yeah. So, and we often think of all the people in, I guess we'll get here. We're skipping ahead, but yeah. of, the, of the judgment that comes, God gives so many chances for people to, to repent, yeah. right? I mean, he, and actually a lot of them do, and a lot of them come out of the Exodus with Israel, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. right? So anyway, we'll get there. We're getting ahead of ourselves. But really, I, just the one thing I would point out in these chapters before we get to the plagues is chapter 5, verse 2. Remember, this is the book of names. This is about the name of God. And what happens is Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh mm. and they say, Yahweh, right, the Lord, the I am, says, let my people go. That they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. And in verse 2, chapter 5, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who, who is Yahweh <laughs> that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go, right? That, I mean, that is the a crucial moment. This is like the throwing down the gauntlet moment. Like I compared it to like Rocky Three, where, where they're watching the, the news report, right? And Apollo Creed and Rocky are sitting together because Apollo Creed's training Rocky. And, and the guy, I forget who he's fighting, but he's like, the, the, they're interviewing him. And they're saying like, oh, are you afraid that Apollo Creed is, is training Rocky? And he's like, who's Apollo Creed? I don't know who, who is that? I have no idea, right? And then Apollo Creed just is like, right? And the music starts rising, right? And I, that's kind of what's, I mean, obviously that's, Again, lowering God quite a bit, but <laughs> Mr. T and God or whatever. Wait, is Paul Creed? No, Paul Creed is, is it? It's Mr. T that's fighting him in, right. in, in number three. But uh, anyway, but that's, that's the moment, right? It's, the gauntlet is thrown down and he's saying, who's God? Who's the Lord? I don't, I don't care about this. I, know all, I have all these gods. In fact, Pharaoh thinks he's a God, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know Yahweh. And so God will make sure he never forgets the name of Yahweh. Right. And that his name is going to be, going to be broadcast throughout the entire world because of what happens. Right. So that is a crucial, crucial moment. Hmm. And then, and then we go ahead to the the plagues, which are which are a ton of fun. Um, Not really, but yeah, they're they're very interesting passage. (laughs) And really, the the plagues are this war on the gods of Egypt. Right. Yeah. You talk about this often when you teach uh, Exodus. Yeah. So there's a couple of big ideas with the plagues. One is the idea of creation. So mm-hmm. cre- the creation account is very much, um, there's a, th- a lot of th- creation themes in this account that God is reversing what he did in creation. Mm-hmm. In creation, he brought order. Here, when he brings judgment, he's bringing disorder, chaos. Right. Obviously, the last plague is the removal of light. Right. Right. So then that's the first creative act 
is let there be light. So there's a lot of that, right? Letting creation uh, loose, chaos, death, all these things. It's, it's very ugly. And the other theme would be that there's a war on the gods of Egypt. So right. every single plague corresponds to an Egyptian god, and it, it's showing the Egyptians that their gods are powerless. Again, if it's a battle of names, God is tearing down the names of their pantheon and lifting his own name up as greater than right. them. So that's, that's what we're going to see in these, in these plagues. That's awesome. So, um, so we come into these plagues, um, and we have this war, I guess, uh, on Egypt from God. He's basically just throwing his banner in the ground saying, we're going to fight now. Yeah. And so, like, what happens? How is God even getting glory out of this? Yeah, so, so God is revealing himself in a very important way. If you want to, if you want to have uh, news proclaimed, right, if you want to make headlines, right. you go to the biggest city, the biggest platform, yeah. right? You want to go to the center of the action, and you do it there. And that's what God's doing. He's going to the greatest empire in the history of the world up to that point, mm-hmm. Uh, undoubtedly, right? right? And a lot of this is because, if you remember, Joseph right, consolidated power yeah. in Egypt through his own strategy. But God used that to build up Egypt into this powerful uh, empire with a long history. I mean, don't forget, w- when Abraham was around, mm-hmm. he probably would have seen the Giza pyramids. Yeah. And they would have been about six centuries old at that point. Hmm. So the pyramids for Abraham, who was 500 years previous to this, they, they were as old as, what, what would that be, Columbus or uh, before oh, for us? Yeah. I mean, that's, like, that's, the, that's the reference for him. And this is a long time. It's like pre-Martin Luther for right. us. Um, so, so God wants to take on the greatest empire and to reveal them for, uh, for the, as weak, right, compared to him and to, and to his greatness. Right. And so that's what God's going to do. That's going to be awesome. Um, cool. Well, you just want to talk through some of those plagues and see what they're all about? Yeah, let's just go through the plagues. So the, the first plague, we won't go through everyone in detail, but just a few important things. So the first plague is um, that waters turn into blood, Yeah, Nile. and it's, it's the Nile River, right? So Moses, the, the, the man who was, had been a boy, who had been placed in the Nile, goes mm-hmm. and stands on that same Nile, mm-hmm. and he proclaims that God's going to turn the Nile into blood. Right. So uh, th- that's, that's very important because he's basically saying that this symbol of judgment is going to be turned in judgment for you right. and for your God. So the God of the, the Nile was a God named Happy. And so this image of blood is that he has he's died, right? right. He's, he's perished. So um, that's the first plague. And the second plague is, is the frogs. And this, the, the frog god in, in, in Egypt was Heket. Mm-hmm. And Heket was the goddess of midwives. Right. So here we have a direct tie to... Another event, right, at uh, the same event, really, the genocide of, the, of these infants that Pharaoh tried to pressure the midwives to do this. And so um, the connection is really clear. And what we see is that these plagues build and build, and they get worse mm-hmm. and worse. And Pharaoh is hardening his heart the entire time, turning against God, um, resolute in his disobedience. And like I said, it, they kind of come in sets of threes. Mm-hmm. We'll see that Moses will come in the first, you know, the first, the fourth, and the seventh. He'll come before Pharaoh. They have this whole dialogue, and then that that, that kind of concludes at the end with you know Pharaoh kind of re- bat- says like, "Oh, I'll let them go, maybe." Right. And, and so it's like these sets of three, and they kind of correspond to different aspects of creation. So the first three seem to do with the water primarily. The second set of three seems to do with the land, and the last three are related to the sky. Right. And and so what God's doing is all those those places of creation, God is unraveling and destroying them in Egypt. 
So what's so we so we get to the the latter plagues. What's so special about the last one? Yeah. So the last plague. Yes, yeah, that, that that bonus plague, right? The last plague, and this is actually an assault. So it's been building up. So we've seen the whole pantheon being attacked, culminating with um, Ra, mm -hmm. who was the sun. king of the gods, right? right? The, the sort of creator god, the sun god, and the sun is blotted out. And then really, I mean, the most important god would have been Pharaoh himself, because mm -hmm. Pharaoh was the, the god that was in the flesh. Right. And this, this, last, it's atta uh, this last plague is an assault against Pharaoh, right? The firstborn sons are going to die, which would include the next Pharaoh of Egypt. And so God's going to do this, and he says, um, again, we see the idea of the firstborns coming back, mm -hmm. but there's a way out from this one. There's a way to be protected, and, and God is clear about this, and this would have been known by the Israelites, but also the Egyptians would have done it as well. Right. right? If you want to be saved from the wrath of God in this last plague, from the death of your, your firstborn son, you need to kill a lamb, roast it, eat it, and put its blood on the doorpost, the lintel and doorpost of your house. Right. And when God sees that, he'll pass over your house. So God is passing through the city in judgment, but when he sees the blood, he sees that a life has already been taken in that home. He'll pass over it. Mm. That's where we get the, 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 the term Passover. Right. Yeah, you often, you know, when people are first introduced to the story, you, you often hear the question like, well, why is God so unjust? Isn't there, isn't there some Egyptians that would want to be a part of that and not get killed by the wrath of God just because Pharaoh's leading them astray? And Well, the answer is they would have known about it, and yeah. some of them are actually saved. So there are Egyptians that come out. Yeah, know, exactly. You know? And so, and, and that's what we see it, uh, you know, later on. But they, in in twelve thirty three and the following, they're they're really pushed out of the nation, mm -hmm. right? And then they actually go around. God told them this, and this was predicted by by God in Genesis fifteen that they would plunder the Egyptians. And in verse thirty six of chapter twelve, that's what they do, mm -hmm. right? They they go around. and They say, "Hey, let's um, can I have your stuff before I leave? Can I take any flat screens with <laughs> take me?" It, and, take yeah, it. <laughs> and they they give it to them. Right, and actually, in verse thirty-eight of chapter twelve, it says that a mixed multitude went with them. Right, so that's where we see the idea that it wasn't just Israelites, but it was also Egyptians and maybe other nations that had seen who God was and they wanted right. to be part of the of that nation. Yeah, again, like it, it, we're it, like at first reading, I think of these plagues, you're just looking at the the straight up flexing power of God, His power and His sovereignty and His wrath, is what you're saying, like on the forefront. But you also see God's grace, you know, God's yeah. love for his people and for those who would hope in him, you know, so. That's right. Um, and then we got chapter 14, which is an awesome chapter. Yeah, that's where, that's where we'll end for this one, chapter 14, which is just an incredible chapter, which we can go into in detail. But uh, this is when they cross the Red Sea. So they've come, they've, they've been pushed out of, of Egypt and the Exodus. Mm -hmm. um, they're coming, uh, you know, they're going on this journey triumphant, but they come to a, a sea that they can't cross. And again, this is God's plan to put them in a position where they have to trust him. Right. And God actually wants to not just save Israel, he wants to destroy Egypt. He wants to devastate Egypt. Mm -hmm. So he, he lures the army of Pharaoh, who's changed his mind yet again, right. Right? comes to the edge of the, of the Red Sea, and God does this incredible miracle. And this is so important because um, the story of Moses has come full circle, right? So that, yeah. that's one important thing. So what's going to happen, as we know, is that God parts the Red Sea, they walk through safely, and after they've gone through, the, the waters come down upon the Egyptian army, mm -hmm. and the waters of, of judgment for Egypt are the waters of salvation right. for Israel. So this is the same theme as, as Noah. This is the same as the birth story of, of Moses. Yeah. So we saw connections to the Noah story, but really there's connections to the Red Sea crossing as well. 
particularly because the name of the Red Sea in Hebrew is not Red Sea. We, 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 know, we know the Red Sea because that's what we call it. Uh, it was literally the Reed Sea. Mm. The Reed, Yam Suf, means Reed Sea. And that's the same word that was used of where Moses was placed in the, in the Nile River. It was among the reeds. Uh, incidental detail that seems not important until you realize that it's connecting to this later event. Right. That Moses is going to see the salvation that was worked for him be worked for the entire nation. Mm. That God is bringing people through judgment into salvation. And that's, what, that's how God works throughout history. This is, this is the salvation of the Lord. You know, this is, <clears throat> I think chapter 14 is my favorite in the book of Exodus, just because it's like, it's so epic. Like when yeah. I, whenever I read it, like if you just like go home and you read the, from the plagues to this chapter, it's like such an exciting moment. It's like when, uh, when Gandalf, you know, is uh, in the, in the uh, mines of Moria with his clan and he's like, you shall not pass. Gandalf takes a stand and you're like, yeah, but he like fails. Moses succeeds. But it's such an exciting climactic part of the story because like think of the character of Moses, right? He's the guy who's like, Lord, I can't even talk well. Don't use me, right? And, he's, and then God gets angry at him and gives him his, you know, his brother Aaron to help him out. But it's this guy who's constantly, Moses is this guy constantly running from the, the task that God has called him to. But look at the words that Moses says here. When Israel is afraid, because the Pharaoh and his army is coming down, and Moses says this in, th- in uh, chapter 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and, uh, uh, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And then he says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That's so epic in this yeah. story to see not only the power of God and the, the trust that Moses has in him, um, but Moses is finally the man that he should be yeah. in front of, you know, in front of uh, Egypt, right? And it's just, I think it's so cool. It's like, boom, here's, here's, here's the man God is crafting to lead his people, you know? And, and what was the name of Israel? Hmm, it was God fights. God fights, yeah. right? God, God fights for them, and they had forgotten their name. They forgot, and God's been showing them this, mm. right? Ten plagues to show right. them how much he fights for them, that God is on their side, and now Moses is saying, just, just stand, just right. wait, <laughs> right? And this is a great picture of salvation. You do nothing. God does everything, mm. right? And you trust in him. We're right. so busy working sometimes yeah. that we forget to just trust that he has accomplished the most important things. Yeah. I get goosebumps because obviously like, and let's, let's just get into it. How does this story connect to the gospel? Because like, yeah, it's, it's we're, we're looking at the courage and the faithfulness mm-hmm. of God's people way back in the day. Um, but how is this story connecting us to the gospel story of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, obviously. I mean, the most obvious is, is obviously Passover, but mm-hmm. just the idea of the firstborn son, right? God's firstborn son will be, um, yes, Israel. Also, David will be called God's son. Right. But we know that God's firstborn son, in the, most, in the most literal sense, in the truest sense, is Jesus Christ. Right. That he's the firstborn son, and he's the one who's given to purchase the, the people, right? right? He's the Passover lamb. Right. I, I remember um, Dr. Boyd, uh, one of my professors at... At masters when I was there as undergrad, as we were going through my, you know, my first semester of, of Bible, and I, and I asked at one point, well, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? Why not the bull or the goat? There's all sorts of sacrificial yeah, animals. Yeah, sacrificial animals. Like, why the lamb? Because I thought like Day of Atonement, right, is goats. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me like I was a complete idiot. He's not, <laughs> he wasn't a very tactful dude, but, and he just is like, because the Passover lamb. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, like that makes sense. Like that is the main metaphor right. in terms of sacrifice of what Jesus is doing. Right. It's that he's covering our sin. He's dying in our place and God's passing over us. He doesn't judge us. Mm-hmm. He passes over us. Right. And he and it's the, how redemption is accomplished and all that. So the Passover, I mean, when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God mm. who takes away the sin of the world, he's he's connecting it to this clearly. Right. And then also, you, I mean, there's so much in the New Testament in relation to the Exodus, mm-hmm. um, you know, one thing I think of is just Jesus's own infancy narrative in Matthew is full of allusions to the Exodus story, right? I mean, there's, there's too many to mention probably, but um, it starts off obviously in Matthew with this prediction of his, his birth, and then we have him born, and wise men come, and they, they tell Herod, the evil king, they're going to see the, the new king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And Herod responds by, after they leave, by killing the male children, two years old and un- under, right. in that area. And Jesus is able to escape from that, much like Moses, right? right? So you have the same exact sort of uh, psychopathic, crazy, you know, crazy. I mean, Herod was a, right. a crazy person in a lot of ways. Um, God saves him through that. And he, where does he flee to? He flees to Egypt. And so, so Jesus is walking in those steps. He also... Um, is you know in the wilderness in chapter four, right? As the right. as the people of Israel were, he's going and as Moses was going through the same steps as what Moses and the people of Israel went through, um, being formed through that and being mm-hmm. uh, transformed through. That. And also he's baptized, right. just just like right, so yeah. metaphorically speaking, as as First Corinthians talks about, um, Israel was baptized in Moses in the Red Sea. Right. So Jesus is going through all these same steps as he initiates his own ministry. And then the last thing I would say that's, that's very important is even that term exodus is used in the ministry of Jesus. Um, in, in, in Luke 9, Luke chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, mm-hmm. right? Sabbaths in every, in every gospel, but, um, or in the synoptics. But what you see here is that actually as, you know, Peter is there and he, and he sees Elijah and he sees uh, Moses standing with Jesus, right? Obviously connection between Moses and Jesus, but... It, it says that actually they were having a conversation. So Moses and Elijah and Jesus were having a conversation. And it says in, in chapter 9, verse 31, um, that Jesus appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, mm. which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And that word departure is just literally the word exodus in mm. Greek. Um, so he's speaking about his exodus that's going to happen. So Jesus sees his own work on the cross his work of paying for them, of, of, of paying for us, for our, you know, covering our sins, redeeming us. He sees that as a second exodus hmm. in a very real sense. So, I mean, there's so much that connects this story to our story, right. really. Uh, you can even go that far. But obviously to the, to the work of Jesus on the cross. This is how God worked back then, and it's how he's going to work um, with Jesus as well and how he redeems us now. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, um, we're going to pick up next week in chapter 15 of Exodus. I hope you'll join us. Um, For now, keep reading your Bible and uh, keep uh, uh, learning. And uh, we hope this is uh, preparing you uh, to know God through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us.